is on now. There you go. Hey, this is Reach Sunday, and just for special, I decided to wear a suit. Actually, I had to wear this yesterday for a big shingding downtown Sanford, and I looked so good, and I thought, ah, I might as well get two days out of it. There you go. Uh, Reach Sunday, I want to give you an update on uh, the building. Uh, the, we have been kind of in a holding process. We were negotiating on our future campus. I put the picture up here if you're new to City Church. We have been working on and negotiating and trying to figure out how to purchase this property for over a year now. And uh, this past November, we kind of came to an impasse with the trust company that was negotiating for the other side. And we took a little time off. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I felt the stirring that we really needed to just go after this one more time to see what the Lord would do. And, uh, and so we were down to, uh, we were thinking we were going to get a response to our offer on Friday. But uh, they have, oh, don't put that up here. Hang on, hang on. You're getting ahead of me. All right. There you keep it. There you go. <clears throat> but um, they, were, they had not come to a decision. There's actually another church that's making an offer on the property. So I guess we'll just see who God loves more. No, just kidding. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, we're both very close, and uh, there's just some differences in our offer and the way it looks. And, and so I'm asking the church to do this. I'm asking the church, this eve, starting this evening till tomorrow evening, I'm asking you to, to fast and pray. And if you can't do this evening, you already have some other plans for dinner. Would you take tomorrow, Monday night, and fast and pray to Tuesday? The decision will be made on this Wednesday. I'm pretty sure that it's going to take place this time. They've had time to analyze it, and all the parties involved that need to know, need to know. And so we are going to pray together. I, I don't know um, about you, but many times in big decisions of life, I, I, want every, I want everything figured out. And I was feeling that way about this process, about the negotiation of this building. I've been intricately involved in all the details and I was feeling this tension inside of me. And the Lord just dropped a verse into my heart. I wanted to read it to you this morning because I believe that it's, it's apropos for this season and for this moment. It's Philippians chapter 4. And Paul was talking to the ch- church at Philippi about when they en- encounter struggles and challenges in their relationship with God. And in Philippians 4, 6 in the New Living Translation, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Thank him for what he's done. And I want to do that this morning. Uh, we had our REACH campaign. It was launched in November. It's called the Capital Campaign. And I want to just kind of give you an update on where we are. This is our fourth month into it. And we currently have received in cash, not just pledges, in cash, we received $207,070. Come on, can you give God a big hand today? That's amazing. I'm just so grateful to the Lord for that. We've pledged over 800000 Our goal is a million dollars. And we're just going to stand, and we're going to give the Lord thanks. And can you do that with me right now? We're going to tell the Lord what we need, and then we're going to thank him for what he's already done. And we're not anxious. God's got my future. God's got the future of City Church. God knows our mission and our passion to bring his love to this community. And so we're just going to trust him today. Can you pray with me this morning? Father, we just come before you with a grateful heart. I'm so thankful for this great church and the work that you are doing by your power and by your spirit, for the lives that are being touched, for the children that are being raised to become champions for you. God, I thank you that you are speaking to us by your spirit, that you are leading us, just like you led my wife and I from Seattle to Central Florida, and how you led us all the way up the I-4 quarter to come to this community, to Sanford, Florida. And I thank you for that. Now, Lord, I am asking for your favor. I'm asking, Lord, for a clear open door before us. You know the resources that we have need of. You know the monies that we have need of to purchase this new facility. And I just thank you in advance for hearing our prayer as a congregation today. And, God, we thank you that there's an open door that you laid before us. And we're going to go through this. 
In Jesus, your wonderful and mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. We're in a series in the book of Acts called The Empowered Church. And the title of my message today is called The Dangerous Church. Everyone say The Dangerous Church. The Empowered Church is a dangerous church. And uh, we have uh, been in this series. We've been learning about how the church was born and and in its infancy stage, the, the pristine, beautiful thing that God did among the believers. Uh, he brought them together. He filled them with His Spirit. There were miracles and signs and incredible things that took place. And up to this point, nothing tragic has happened in the church. But this morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Acts chapter 4, verse number 32. We're going to read verse 32 through 37. And then we're going to read Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But actually, I'm not going to read it this morning. You're going to get to see it in a video form. And uh, this is one of the most shocking stories that takes place in the New Testament. But I want you to check out this video now. There are some stories that end with a quaint little phrase, and they lived happily ever after. But this is not one of those stories. This is the grim tale of Ananias and Sapphira. The early church had begun to flourish, and all the believers were getting along quite splendidly. They shared everything they had with one another, claiming nothing as their own. There were no needy people among them. Those who owned fields or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds to the apostles as a gift. Joseph was one such man who sold a field he owned, and brought the money to the apostles as an offering. And oh, what a wonderful blessing it was to everyone. All the believers were encouraged and celebrated Joseph's selfless act. Well, not everyone. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira, who were counted among the believers, saw the way Joseph was admired and grew very jealous. He thinks he's better than us, they grumbled to each other. We deserve that kind of attention. They dwelt on it day and night. Finally, one night, they devised a plan to sell a piece of land, secretly keeping part of the money for themselves and giving the rest to the apostles. They would not necessarily say they were giving all of the money they received from the sale. They would just let everyone assume it, and presto, they would instantly be famous as self-sacrificing believers who surrendered everything to Jesus. So, with his wife's consent, Ananias sold the land, secretly kept part of the money, and brought the remainder to the apostles. But Peter saw right through Ananias, saying, Ananias, why have you let evil fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor dead. Everyone who heard the news was filled with fear. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. Everyone nervously watched as Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? The room fell silent. Yes, she replied. That was the price. Peter responded, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test God like this? 
the young man who buried your husband, are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. When the young men returned, they found her body. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church and, in fact, everyone who heard of these things had a newfound respect for God. So, unfortunately, there's no happy ending in this tale. But there is a warning here to take God very seriously. Dare I say, <laughs> deadly serious. <laughs> My big idea this morning is sin kills, grace heals. Sin kills, grace heals. <clears throat> a while back we were getting ready for this message, and, and we've been talking about this as a team, because this is one of those passages that is very difficult. It's difficult because we don't like the way God responds to this couple. Not in our human nature. Our human nature, we're having a very difficult time understanding how this took place. I came across this picture of a really dangerous church. I want you to see this picture. This is a church in northern Ethiopia. A monk went up into the mountains. Can you put that picture up for me? It's right at the front there. Is it working? Why don't you put the picture up? One more picture before that. There you go. All right. To get to that picture that you just saw there, you had to walk. You, had to, you have to hike up 2,500 feet to get into that church. Now, that's a dangerous church in the natural, Right? I mean, you can go on the Internet. You can put the, put the next slide up so we can see the name of that church. Abuna Yamata Rock Church. That's what it's called. It was built in the 5th century. And uh, that's a dangerous church. It's at least dangerous to go to, at least try to get to. The fact is today our story talks about a dangerous church, a place where God's presence is, a place where the church has experienced supernatural favor. There's God's power has exploded on these group of people that have gathered together. And this small group of 120 people have now exploded over the next several months to possibly 20,000 men and women. And God is rocking the city of Jerusalem. I mean, they are filling the city with the doctrine of Jesus, of his resurrection, of his life, of his power. And there are great miracles that are taking place. And the people, the people are aware. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, tragedy strikes. Satan has a plan of attack. You see, Satan's first plan of attack was persecution. The, the believers, the apostles, and the early Christians, they were boldly witnessing, and the Jewish religious leaders would tell them, stop teaching in that name and throwing them to jail, and all that did was incite more boldness and more confidence, and God worked in a greater way. But now there comes attack not from without, but an attack from within. It's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous church. I love the Bible today because the Bible doesn't try to cover the truth. The Bible simply declares the truth. God makes no apology for the story today. He doesn't give us a little predecessor up there and say, hey, you know, well, this only happened back then. No, God just makes it plain. There was a leader in England. His name was Oliver Cromwell. And Oliver Cromwell was a great military leader. He, he had great victories for the nation of Israel. He made him preeminent in the, in, the, in the turn of the 16th century. And he was known. He was known for his faith in God. He was known for his belief in God and his, his truthfulness in dealing with people. And one day he commissioned a painter to come in and, and to paint a picture so that he could hang it in the Westminster Abbey. And the painter came, and he was a world-renowned painter, and he painted this, this beautiful painting of Oliver Cromwell. And when he showed it to him, Oliver Cromwell said, get that picture out of here. 
You see, Oliver Cromwell's face had been completely disfigured by warts, and the painter had removed the warts. And Cromwell said to him, I want you to paint me warts and all. And the fact is, the Bible shows the warts of his people. The Bible shows sin when it enters into the life of a church. I don't have to apologize for this text today. I'm simply here to declare to you that sin is serious business with God. Sin is serious business with God. And there's a right way to live and a wrong way to live. There's a right way for me to live and a wrong way for me to live. And in our story this morning, we see both things taking place. The first thing that I want you to see about an empowered church, an empowered church lives and practices grace-filled generosity. An empowered church practices grace-filled generosity. The first several verses, actually, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read out of the NIV, but I just want you to see several things that are taking place here. God's moving. People are being born again. There are miracles taking place. This lame guy just gets healed, and people are ecstatic about it. They're boldly declaring Jesus. There's a great grace on them. It's just flowing out of their life. And, and now this guy, Barnett, this guy, Joseph, comes into the picture. In verse number 32, the Bible says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. and No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. The believers were of one heart. The word heart there in the Greek is cardia. It just simply means the ability for a person to, to think, the ability for a person to have a reality of who they are spiritually. The spirit of a man. The spirit of a man is what makes you who you are. But the mind of a man or the soul of a man is your ability to reason and think and to have emotions. And this heart and the soul of this church were one. They were in unity. They were in one accord. They, they loved one another fervently. They cared for one another. As a matter of fact, they didn't consider anything that they owned to be their own. It was actually some form of communism. But it was a different form of communism because it was self-inflicted. The people chose to sell their positions, the possessions. The people chose to give generously. The people chose to make sure that no one in their community had any needs. You know what they were living out? They were living out the promise that God had made to the Jewish people all the way back to Moses some 1,500 years before. Because God told them, he said, listen, you're a spiritual people. You're my people. You're my child. And when you serve me and you live for me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. And there'll be no needy people among you. You can read it for yourself in Deuteronomy chapter 28. God clearly spells out the blessing. When Jesus was on this earth and he was he had resurrected from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us that he told the disciples about who he was and all these things from the Old Testament. You know what he was doing? He was telling them, you're the fulfillment of God's plan. The church, you, the people of God, my spirit is living and dwelling in us. You are my plan. From the very beginning, it was God's design to have a relationship. And you are those people. And they had that confidence They had this sense of love and concern and care for one another. Yesterday, I had the privilege. The reason that I am wearing this suit is because I wore this suit at a shingding downtown Sanford City Hall yesterday. It was the celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Movement from 1960, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And at the end, uh, they asked me to pray. It was a three-hour ceremony, and it was amazing. And there were incredible stories. And 
But one of the stories that really grabbed my attention was from a man that grew up here in Midway. He was an African-American young man. It was before the days of the Civil Rights Act. It was before the day of equality among people and opportunity and educational opportunities. And this young man was very bright. He, he went to Crooms Academy. He, he excelled at school. And he had a desire to be a doctor. And over in the Midway community, this young man excelled in school, and he went for it, and, and the community came behind him. The man that was telling this doctor's story yesterday said when he would come home from school, people would, would give him money. They'd buy books. They would help him because they wanted one of their own to achieve, to make it. And as he was telling the story, my heart just realized those people lived in community. They cared for one another. That He went on to become a doctor, and Dr. I can't remember his name now, but the doctor moved back into this community. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he lived here in Sanford, and he continued to minister, practicing healing as a doctor to the Seminole County community. And the man said there were many, many times that he wouldn't take remuneration for his services because the people couldn't pay. There was that sense of unity and love among that community to help someone get get ahead, someone have their needs met. And that's the kind of unity, that's the kind of love that was taking place here in the church. You see, I want you to know today that the gospel lived rightly is the answer to the race problem, the homeless problem, and the, 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 the crime problem of any community. The gospel lived rightly is the answer. Jesus still is the answer for the world today. And this church demonstrated this. There was great unity. There was great union among the people. And I want you to see this in verse number 33. See, this is what drove it. This is what drove their generosity. This is what drove their sense of love and compassion and concern for one another. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace, everyone say grace, was so powerfully at work in them all. All. Did you hear that? There are thousands of believers. There are thousands of believers. It isn't just the church of 25 people doing a holy huddle around the corner. No, this is the church that's impacting the world. And God's grace, Ray Steadman says, grace simply stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, the riches of God's goodness, of His love, of His favor, of His kindness. God's grace. I love the word grace. In the Greek, the word is just simply charis. It means gift or favor. Favor. The favor of the Lord. The Bible says that God causes prosperity or favor to those who live generously. The favor of God. You've got to hear this today. One day, one day of God's favor in your life it's worth more than a, a whole year of your labor. I've said that once, but you've got to hear it again today. Living right, serving God, following His purposes. God divinely orchestrates your steps. But when you choose to live life your own way, hear this today. Sin kills. Sin kills. Grace heals. I was telling Richard, we were meeting before the service, praying, just having a little powwow, and, and we're talking, and I said, Richard, I, I said, I remember several years ago, we had moved into this building probably nine or ten years ago now. We, were, we had moved into this building in the round building where our children meet, had no central air conditioning. 
And I remember one summer afternoon, I walked over there, and it was so hot. We would try to cool down that whole building by opening all the doors in the classrooms to have the air condition out of these little box units, try to cool down that center area. And I sat in a chair, and I said, Lord, I said, it's not right. I said, our kids are going to come over here, and they're going to be sitting here this week, and man, it's going to be 95 degrees inside this building and 100% humidity. I said, God, I know you care about these kids. I was just having a conversation. I was talking to the Lord. That Sunday, I, I was speaking like I am right now, and somewhere along the line, it just popped out of me. You know, our, our poor kids are over here with no air conditioning, and I just went right on. I never thought another thing about it. The next day, a guy shows up, and he's over at the round building. He's taking measurements, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, well, someone ordered air conditioning for this building. And I said, well, I didn't order air conditioning for this building. (laughs) A man who had never been to our church before. A man that I had only met him in passing a couple of times. He was sitting right over here. When he heard me say that, he took it on his own, and he called an air conditioning company. They came out. It was about a $10,000 bill. I mean, at that time... Listen, folks, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. We were just praying to keep the lights on in this building every week. That's favor, folks. That's the favor of God. Richard told me right after that, he, he said he, he's received a phone call from the undersecretary of the agricultural department, the number two man in command in, in the agricultural department of the United States. He said, one speaking opportunity that I wasn't supposed to be at. I ended up speaking to a group of people. They heard, they heard what I'm doing here in Seminole County Public Schools with the food system. And he said, that's opened a door. He said, it's opened a door for me to do consulting. And it's opened a door for me to have the opportunity to talk to the second most powerful man in the agriculture department in the United States of America. You know what that's called, folks? That's called favor. That's called the favor of the Lord. Come on, give God a hand clap this morning. They shared. But it wasn't communism. You know why it wasn't communism? It wasn't forced. Communism is an evil system designed to destroy. Christianity, joyous, grace-filled, generous Christianity is a system designed by God to build, to heal, to restore, to forgive, to bring hope to the nations. Someone said amen. See, they recognize that everything belongs to the Lord. You know your paycheck every week belongs to the Lord. Everything you have belongs to God. When you're wrestling in your mind, if you can do your tithe this week or you can really afford to give, God says, it's not yours. It's not yours. It's mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's his. And when you're wrestling and you're working through these issues, what happens in our lives so many times is we allow anxiety and fear to overtake us. We allow sinful behavior to keep us from willfully and obeyingly serve God and our giving. This is one of the key marks of the book of Acts, this whole principle of generosity. And they brought it and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I don't check anybody's records. You guys don't do that. We pass the buckets. We make it a secret. We do it online. We have all these private ways. But back then, they were just bringing it to the church. You know what? They believed in the mission. They were so not about themselves that they were so about other people and lives being changed that they joyously and gladly brought their giving. We see this in this person, Barnabas, this man full of grace. This man who loved to give. 
You see, the second thing that I want you to see is that the empowered church learns from the successes and the failures of others. This story today is not for outsiders. This story is for insiders. This story is for people who call themselves followers of Christ. This story is for believers. You see, when we as a body of Christ, I've told my staff this many, many times, working with me, there are many things that you will learn to do, and there's a few things you're going to learn not to do. A smart man, a smart woman sees, you know what, I like that way to live, and I don't like that way to live. That looks like a good option. That looks like blessing. That looks like joy. That looks like fun. That looks like abundance. That looks like health and healing and favor. That doesn't look so good over there. You have a choice. The power of life and death lay before each person that's here today. Joseph, in verse verse number 36, the Bible says, This man Joseph, his name means son of encouragement. He actually got a nickname by the church. I mean, think about this. Think about your character. A good characteristic of your life is so strong that they just go ahead and give you that name. Alicia Joy. Jorge Joyous. Nicole Freedom. I mean, your, your characteristic, the thing that you love most about God and exude your life, because such a strong characteristic, they change your name. You know why they called him Son of Encouragement? Because he led by example. He led by example. He sold a piece of property, and he just laid it all down. He said, guys, you do whatever you want to do with it so we can reach more people for Jesus. Not only that, there was a man by the name of Paul who would come into the picture in just a few chapters from what we're reading now. This man was a blasphemer of God. He hated the Christians. He was consenting to the death of believers. All of a sudden, he has this Damascus Road experience, and he becomes just instantly blinded by the light. And Jesus speaks to him, and he surrenders his life to Jesus. And nobody believes that he's really a Christian. The Bible says it's Barnabas that came alongside of Paul, introduced him to other believers, stood up for him. He was an encourager. He believed in people. He believed the best in people. Later on, when when the church needed people to give and, and to distribute monies to people that were in need, it was Barnabas in Acts chapter 15 that we see leading the way. Later, when Paul and Barnabas were ministering together, they were being sent out as apostles to be missionaries. The Bible says there was a young man by the name of John Mark, and he completely failed in ministry. He completely failed in ministry. It was Barnabas that came alongside of him and believed that God still had a plan for his life. He was an encourager. It was a characteristic of his life. He's a great example for you and I. You see, it began with a demonstrated freedom from the love of things and a heart of love for those in need. That's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel. The heart of city church is to bring God's love to the city one person at a time by worshiping Jesus with people from every generation, nation, and culture. The fact is today, the message, the heartbeat of this church is to demonstrate to the love of God to those who love Him the least. The heart of God and the heart of this church is to love those who would not have an opportunity to hear the gospel unless we laid out a banqueting table. The heart of this church is to love God that the other people in the world say they don't have any money they can't pay they can't do it city church says we're here bring us your poor bring us your needy bring us your broken bring us those who need jesus that's the heart that's the heart of the kingdom 
Jesus said, Jesus said, bring the poor, bring the children, bring the needy to me. We see it in the Gospels over and over and over. And that was the heartbeat of the church. And they ministered to one another. They served one another. But then we get a bad example, a really bad example. Verse number one of chapter five, the Bible says, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, her name is beautiful, sold a piece of property and went with his wife's full knowledge. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, and he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. Why is this story here? Why is this story here? Were these people saved? It seems like it. I mean, it says the Holy Spirit been poured out on them all. It seems like these people had a relationship with God. They were hanging out with Christians. Why is this story here? Do you know why this story is here? Because this story, according to Paul, was written as an example to warn us the seriousness of sin, the consequence of sin. That's why this story is here. You see, they had a strategy. I mean, this wasn't just something like they're going along and all of a sudden, you know, they were just cruising through life and temptation pops up and they just succumbed into it. No, 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 no. It wasn't a moment, you know, they were they were arguing with somebody at work and all of a sudden they just flipped off and they started yelling at the other person. No, 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 no. This wasn't, you know, just, you know, just kind of a all of a sudden impulse kind of sin. This was a strategic sin. This is something they plotted. This is something that they planned. This is something that they thought about. This was intentional. This was willful disobedience to God. Willful. They made a choice. They chose to do this. Never misunderstand God. God has come to set you free. God has given you the power to choose. You have a thing called will. Human will. God is ultimately in control of your life, but he gives you the power to choose. They were complicit. They agreed together. They thought this through. You know what happens? You know what happens? They start to form a religion called hypocrisy. That's what it is. The Pharisees were wonderful at it. Eugene Smith is really good at it. I'm really good at being a churchman. I mean, come on, if you were really being honest today, there's something in all of us that wants people to think a little better of us or to think that we're good. There's a, every person here today, we have a tendency, we have a bent to become self-righteous. The Pharisees were extremely self-righteous towards other people. I hear it all the time. I've heard this so many times in my Christian walk. The church is just full of hypocrites. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, welcome to the club. You are one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The moment you say that about someone else, gets what you're doing. You're judging them. The other day, someone was complaining to me about this person being a hypocrite. And, and I, this, somebody just had a conversation about this. I don't know why they tell me. Don't they know that I'm the wrong guy to tell? I do care, but not really. No, but they, <laughs> I'm going to believe in you and I love you. And this person was talking about this person. I'm thinking, what a vicious triangle. So, You're judging somebody else. And the moment you judge somebody else, guess what? God allows you to reap what you sow. Other people will judge you. Be careful how you judge. Be careful how you judge other people. They started practicing this form of religion. It it was like, you know, oh, well, they think, let everybody think we're just, we're doing okay. We're, We're doing the right thing. We're celebrating with everybody. 
And then here's number, verse number three. I want you to see this, the source of their sin. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? <laughs> how is it that Satan has filled your heart? You believed a lie. You believe a lie of Satan. He's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he always starts with the battleground, which Richard prayed for earlier. It's in your mind. Well, it's not that bad. Oh, oh no, no, it's bad. It's really bad. Sin kills. Not sometime. Every time. Paul the Apostle said the wages of sin are death. You might not die immediately like Ananias and Sapphira, but if you choose to willfully turn your back on God and to go your own way, there's a consequence. There's a price. Why has you allowed Satan to fill your heart? You see, the fact is today Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why didn't Peter die? Why why did Ananias and Sapphira die? And Peter didn't die. Do you know how Peter knew that their hearts were filled? Because Peter had allowed Satan to fill his heart. You remember the story. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And here's this rambunctious, fired up young man, full of the anointing, full of the power. And Jesus is telling him, I'm going to die on the cross. And and Peter's like, no, no, you're not going to die, Jesus. You're not going to die like that. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to defend you. And Jesus whips around and says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Satan had entered into Peter's heart. So he knew what it was to be deceived by the evil one. And the moment, oh, wow, wow, the moment he realized that Peter confronts him and says, you didn't lie to us, you lied to God. You know that you can't hide from God? You just can't. I have tried to hide from God. I have tried. I've tried to run from God. I try to run from God in a bottle. I try to run from God in, in bad relationships. I try to run from God in doing things my own way. And guess what? It's a failure every time. He sees. And this is how amazing his grace is. This is how much he loves you. He doesn't let you get away with it. That's how you know you're a child of God today. The way that you know that you're a child of God is that you feel his discipline. You feel his conviction. You try to get it out of your mind and justify your actions and your deeds. But God's like, no, 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 no. You lied not to man. You didn't lie to us. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Serious. You had a choice to make. Hey, Ananias, you could have sold this and kept it for yourself. I mean, <laughs> it was your choice. You could have done whatever you wanted to do with the money, but no, 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 that's not what you did. You said you were going to give it all, but the fact is, that's not what happened. And the moment that he was confronted with the sin, he fell down dead. Bam! Now, that'll shock you. I'm like, I'm up here. I can't even, and you're preaching, and you're like, oh, man. Now, I've seen God do some pretty incredible things. I've seen God do some pretty incredible things, even in this area. Years ago, I was, I was in a church service, and there was a guy in the back, and he, he's like Big Lee back there in the back, and he was just making fun. He was pointing at people, and he's a big guy, and, and God, you know, we were worshiping, and he was just kind of joking around. And at the end of the service, I could see that he was just mocking what was taking place. So I thought, well, I'll just go up there and talk to him, see how he's doing. And I went up there, and I said, how you doing? I introduced myself, and... He says, I don't believe any of this stuff. This is a bunch of nonsense. That's exactly what he said. I said, well, I said, I want you to know God loves you and has a plan for your life today. He said, he's like, oh, whatever. I said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? He said, oh, whatever. I took his hand. 
And the moment I started praying for him, God, I don't know how this happened, but God came and whacked this guy with the bolt of his power and flew this guy over the chairs. And I'm like, whoo, it missed me. <laughs> whoo. I'm like, Jesus. I only saw that one time. Never seen it happen since. He was looking up. He was laying down on the ground. This big old guy all fold over the chairs. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> I said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The fact is today, they lied to God. They played the place. They played the person of a hypocrite. John Piper said it like this. The Holy Spirit is discredited in the church today. Some people come to worship and operate totally on a human level, never even recognizing that the living presence of God is in the room. The presence of God is in this place today. The reality of Jesus is in this place today. Many times we don't even acknowledge that He exists. We just live our lives thinking that there's no consequences. Maybe we give it a mental assent that God is really there, but you know, God knows, and I can do this, and I can just go back later and ask for forgiveness. And I want you to know today, He's a holy God. He's not a God to be trifled with. He's not a God to be messed with. He's a God who is God all by Himself, and He set the rules, He set the parameters, and He said, I love you, but you got to do it my way. God was at work in this place. God was at work. R.C. Sproul says, We forget that God's patience is designed to lead us to repentance, not to become bolder in our sin. There's consequence. There's a payday. There's a payday for all of us. There's a payday. The fact is, if we choose to willfully turn from God and live in our own way, there are consequences to that life. There are consequences to making those choices. Ananias fell down dead. I'm not going to lie to lie to you today. I'm not going to call this a great church growth strategy. Like I, I listen to Joel Osteen on the radio every day because I need to be built up, and I believe that God is for me. And I believe I'm not I'm the head and not the tail. I believe my best is yet to come, and I believe that if God be for me, who can be against me? I do. I believe that, but I want you to know today, I got to do it His way. I got to do it His way. It's not our way. It's Lord Jesus said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. God didn't leave you powerless. He gave you weapons of your warfare. Paul said the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God, through the pulling down and demolishing of strongholds. When it comes to this area of sin, Paul says, don't even entertain it. Don't even talk about the things that they do in darkness. He tells Timothy, man, when it comes to lust and pornography and sexual sin, flee it. Run from it. it. tells us that when Satan comes to resist him, to resist the devil, and he will flee. How do you resist Satan today? The primary way that you resist Satan is through your worship. Because the moment you begin to worship God, his presence comes. God inhabits the praises of his people. They begin to worship Jesus. Said uh, Jesus said when he was confronted to sin. To allow evil to overcome him. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is, it is written to worship the Lord your God and worship him alone. Jesus has given us this beautiful thing called worship where we can express our love and adoration to him. And then his presence, the promise that he is with us, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he's our comforter. It's the promise. We have the word of God that has been written as our sword. It's our offensive weapon against Satan. It's not a defensive weapon. It is an offensive weapon. 
We've overcome today. The Bible tells us today we have the Word of God and this witness that we overcome by the blood of Jesus, by the authority that is in Jesus' name, by the power that is in Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus and the Word of our testimony. And we love not our lives, even unto death, because it's not about us. It's all about Him. It's all about the empowered church fulfilling the mission of God in their generation. Someone said amen. Our relationship with God today, it's a continual progressive love affair and it's a continual progressive warfare. Guys, this, we're all in this battle. Richard, we're all in this battle. We all feel the same proneness to wonder. Ananias and Sapphire, they took it to the limit and they died. They paid a price. You know, your sin might not catch you today, but it will catch you someday. When you choose to live for yourself and you choose to go against God's word, it will catch you. Number three, our third thing I want you to see is that the empowered church lives in the fear or the awe and wonder of God. Look at verse number five. When Ananias heard this, he fell down dead, and great fear seized them all. that means they recognize that God was God. Wow, this is real. This is real, 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 real. This is real. Whoa, this is real. God is alive. He's at work among us. What's happening in other people is really real. What God's doing to me is really real. I was in seventh grade. I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Gustafson. Played defensive line for Kansas State back in whatever it was. It's the 70s. I must have been in the, it must have been in the mid-70s when I was in seventh grade. He had a great big paddle that he hung on the wall and holes drilled. And it was back in the day when teachers were still allowed to practice corporal punishment. I know today it's like you couldn't even imagine. I mean, lawsuits and, you know, this would never happen. And just, you know, we'd kneel down, we'd talk to them and their level. And, you know, back in the day, that's not how they kept class control. <laughs> and the, the big badge of honor would be to get your name, for me, was to try to get my name on that paddle because he was a big man. And I remember I would tell him, I'm going to get my name on that paddle. I'm going to get that name. I'm going to get my name on that paddle. Stuck on stupid, fell out of the stupid tree, whatever you want to call it. I remember, I remember one day I just pushed Mr. Gustafson all the way to the limit. He said, Junior, that was my name, Junior Smith, get up out here. I said, yes, sir. I marched up there like all confident, little seventh grade, little skinny, 95-pound soaking wet boy. I got up there. He said, bend over that table. I bent over that table, and he pulled that thing back, and bang! I'm like, woo! I wasn't going to cry, but I'm like, woo! I'm like, woo! Guess what? Everybody in the class just straightened up. Oh. No one else was signing up to get paddled that day. They had a fear of Mr. Gustafson. He could give, and he could take away. Oh, the God that we serve. Come on. He's a merciful God. He is slow to anchor. But don't ever take him for granted. Don't ever take him for granted. I don't know what they did. I don't know why they pushed God to the limit. But God was setting a mark right here at the beginning of the church. Right here at the beginning. God's saying, listen, this thing is real. This thing is real. My grace, my power is real. I want this good news to go to the whole world. And I'm not going to let anyone or Satan himself stop my plan. I'm not going to do it. Get a hold of this today. God deals with sin in the church. God deals with sin in my life. He deals with sin in our lives. 
They lived in awe and wonder of the mightiness and the powerness of God. And you would think that would be all over. The church would, hey, hey man, people are dying down at that church. I don't think I'm going. You know, that, and it took a little respite for a couple of days while people were figuring out what God was doing. And all of a sudden, you can read the verses 11 through 14. Boldness. Boldness. More boldness. Because God was purifying. You know what happens when you get set free from sin? When you turn your back on Satan and turn towards God, you start to get more confidence in your prayers. You start to get bolder in your witness. Sin is a reproach to you. Sin will keep you from being confident in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe even more bold. There was a revival that broke out. I mean, the revival people were being healed. There were miracles. The church continued to grow. And here's the deal. This is a reminder to everyone in this room. Don't play the hypocrite. Don't play the hypocrite. Don't let Satan fill your heart with a lie. Don't do that today. Live generously. Live open-handed. Allow God to use you. Allow God. Allow God. You think God doesn't want to bless you? Are you kidding me? He's your Father. He loves you. He wants to bless you. Don't let Satan fill your heart. Acknowledge God in all your ways. Walk in a sense. Walk your life in a sense of the reverence and the fear of God. We're going to do something completely different today. We're going to turn the house lights down. The worship team is going to come. When I was a, when I was a young man, I went to a Catholic church. I didn't grow up in a Catholic church, but I attended a Catholic church with a friend of mine. And they had these little benches right in front of the seat, right in front of the People would come in and they'd just kneel down right at that bench. There was something, I don't know, I didn't recognize it because we didn't do it in our church, but there was just a sense of, a sense of awe when people would do that, a sense of reverence. So I believe God's speaking to you today. I believe God's speaking to you. The question is, what is He, what is he saying to you? Is there an area of your life that you haven't completely surrendered? Is there some pet sin that you're just toying with and hanging around with? haven't completely got free from? I mean, is there something you just kind of like been wishy-washy on the fence of your faith? This is a dangerous church, folks. This is a dangerous church, but it's the only way to the blessed life. I'd see people kneel, and I thought, you know, what an awesome way for us to finish today. Just right where you're seated, I want you just to get, and I want you to kneel, and I want you to ask the Lord. In your own prayer, in your own way, I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you speaking to me? God, is there an area in my life that I've lacked fear of you? God, is there an area in my life that's not in right relationship with you?